Feel the pulse of a flamenco dancer's footwork. Explore a charm bracelet of sun-drenched whitewashed hilltowns. And bask in rich colors against a parched desert background. Where else could you be but in Spain? Hi, I'm Rick Steves. Today on Travel with Rick Steves, we're taking a close look at some of Spain's vibrant regional traditions, particularly in the sunny south, Andalusia, with the help of two local guides. Federico Garcia Barroso lives in Madrid. He joins us to explain how easy it is to zip around Spain on its new network of high-speed bullet trains. And we'll check in with Concepcion Delgado in Seville, or Sevilla, as the Spaniards say. She'll explain why Seville is one of the country's most romantic cities and how they're getting ready to kick off their vibrant round-the-clock April Fair, which celebrates the local passion for flamenco, horses, outlandish dresses, and sherry spritzers. Stay with us for the hour ahead as we help you experience the best of Southern Spanish culture. It's Travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is made possible in part by American Airlines. New vacation options in Latin America, plus getaways in the U.S., Europe, and the Caribbean are at aavacations.com. American Airlines knows why you fly. Dust off your flamenco shoes as we explore Seville and Spain's sunny Andalusia today on Travel with Rick Steves. Right now, Madrid-based tour guide Federico Garcia Barroso joins us to tempt us to soak in the rich customs and sights of his country and to take your calls at 877-333-7425. Federico, thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. You know, more and more American travelers are paying attention to Spain. i, I got to say, Italy is the leading destination, and mm-hmm. a lot of us have done Italy, and all of a sudden uh, we're going, hey, Spain's got a lot going too. And many times I'm in Spain, and, and I feel this pride with local guides like you, kind of saying, mm-hmm. hey, wake up. We've got everything that Italy's got. We've got great wine. <laughs> we've got great art. We've got a fascinating history. We've got wonderful <laughs> people, a lot of diversity. Mm-hmm. And you make your living taking groups around Spain. Mm-hmm. Americans come to Spain with all these cliches, flamenco, bullfights, uh-huh. paseo, tapas, jamón, you know, the beautiful ham. Mm-hmm. When you're, as a guide, exposing somebody to your culture, how do you handle these cliches, and what mm-hmm. do you want people to really focus on? Well, I can tell you, Enrique, that also it depends on many nationalities. Uh, I mean, people coming from all over the world, they come to visit Spain, and when we talk specifically about Americans, I have the feeling that they good thing that Spain is slightly similar to any Latin American country. And if Spain is, is not better, Spain is not worse, Spain is absolutely different in many ways. I really think that it's a big, big surprise for many of them. They find something that they didn't expect. Well, one of the magic aspects of Spain is the vibrant life on the streets, hmm. the paseo. Yeah. How does somebody best connect with the paseo when they're in Spain? You know, Rick, we say that we work for living, you know, we don't live for working. We try to enjoy life. We try, We know that we have the sun is shining in Spain, the sky is blue, and we do things in a different way. We have a late breakfast, late lunch, late dinner, and we really enjoy the paseos, to walk around. So when, you're, when a tourist is observing the paseo, you said you have a late breakfast, late... Mm. Uh, you know, you, ha- you eat dinner at 9 or 10 o'clock, yes. right? Mm-hmm. And that means breakfast time, you're not very hungry, so you just have a, very, <laughs> you just have a cup of coffee and a, and a little sweet, and you're on your way. That's basically what we do. Uh, yeah. You go home traditionally for a lunch, and mm-hmm. that would be the, the big meal of the day. Exactly. And then uh, after you're done working, you have this beautiful time before the late dinner, maybe mm-hmm. 7 until 9 o'clock. Yeah. When you're out. Is that the prime time for the paseo? Yeah, I will say so, yes, definitely. So every city would have a zone where people go. And in America, you know, uh, teenagers will be cruising in their cars to be seeing and seeing mm-hmm. and so on, checking out the action. And you do it without a car. You're just walking. We just walk. <laughs> and it's young people no and old people. When I was in uh, Salamanca, it's, mm-hmm. I think, the greatest square, the Plaza, Plaza Mayor, Mayor right? yeah. the greatest square in Spain. And that's the big living room or the, the front yard for the whole community. Everybody comes to this square, as they have for generations. Mm-hmm. And I was told the men will go clockwise and the women will go counterclockwise. <laughs> and it's a big, circular, slow-motion <laughs> stroll. And everybody's just saying, hello, good day. (laughs) Tell me more about that. Yes, exactly. That's the the classical way to do it. I guess that my parents and my grandparents, they used to do it in that way. And nowadays, just any kind of people, any kind of uh, young and mature people go there. Plaza Mayor is the place where anything happens, you know. And everybody meets there to to have a drink, to have some tapas, to walk around. And that's what we really like. And every town has a Plaza Mayor. Every town has a major square, the main square. 
the two most charismatic squares are uh, Salamanca and Madrid. You know, and, and when the boys are out looking for the girls, they say, ah, uh, they call them cheeses, right? A little queso. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Tell me about that. What do you queso. say? What's the word? Queso. <laughs> queso is a <laughs> queso is just a way to say so, that that person is really sexy. <laughs> so if you're available, you're out looking for a girl. Exactly. And you see somebody who looks good, you say, hey, queso. <laughs> exactly. If you're single and available, <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> queso. So you call her a queso. cheese. Cheese. Yeah. What does she call you? Quesito, which is <laughs> small cheese, you know. <laughs> <laughs> little cheese. Yeah. So the little cheese, queso. Hey, queso. So a tourist can go, hey, queso. Exactly. Okay. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. I'm speaking with Federico Garcia Barroso. Now, tied in with the paseo is mm-hmm. the tapas. And yeah. for tourists, a lot of us don't want to eat dinner at 10 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And I, I always say, if you're looking for a restaurant that's open at 7 o'clock, mm-hmm. it's going to be a bad restaurant. I mean, they start serving their staff. Mm-hmm. Their staff sits down for dinner at 8 o'clock, and then yeah. they welcome the diners at 9. Mm-hmm. However, there's all sorts of little pubs and restaurants and cafes that serve wonderful oh, munchy yes, foods on little plates. Of and course. you can have a mobile dinner, a very good dinner, without mm-hmm. spending a lot of money, surrounded by interesting people, if you make it a, a tapas dinner between 7 and 9. That's one of the things that we usually do. Still, there are so many Spaniards that they don't really like to eat so late, and they know that these places are open and they serve you any kind of food, different tapas, meat, fish, vegetables. You buy a glass of wine in, in mm-hmm. many places and you'll get a free little plate of food, won't you? You know something, when we talk about this, I always tell my people, listen, we have three magic words for this. One of them is, in Spanish, aperitivo, appetizer. The next one is tapa, and the next one is Ración, which means portion. That's that's a matter of size. Aperitivo is a small one, and it's absolutely free. If you go to any bar, any tavern, and you order a glass of wine or a beer, they have to give you a small and free appetizer. If they don't do that, we don't like that place. We go to another place. Then, next step. Please, I want to have some a tapa. A tapa means just a small portion for one or two people, and you obviously have to pay for that, you know, and it's something quite reasonable. And then if you want something more, you say, please, una ración, a portion, for three or four people. And that would be a plate of different cheeses or ham or something exactly. like that. Now, ham, mm-hmm. jamón, is mm-hmm. close to the heart of Spanish people, I think. Very much. Some Americans, they come to Spain and say, uh, they try to order in some bars prosciutto. And we say, no, that's the Italian ham, you know, which is okay. But our ham is more salted, is more oily, and it's, uh, it's wonderful. It's and, wonderful. And you have this uh, set in like vice grips on mm-hmm. the bar, a big mm-hmm. leg of ham. And if it was a happy pig fed mm-hmm. by uh, acorn. As a budget traveler, I mm-hmm. noticed the price differential is huge. Mm-hmm. You can get some cheap ham, mm-hmm. and it's just ham, forgettable. Mm-hmm, you yeah. pay triple, and you're yeah. going to get yourself some life-changing ham. Jamon. Yes. Jamon. Jamon serrano. Serrano, exactly. Serrano and iberico, Iberian. Iberico. So you'll pay double for iberico. Is it yeah. worth the trouble? Worth the money? Yes, absolutely. Well, you have, you have to watch something, you know. The animal, the leg of the animal, the nail of the animal has to be black. Okay, that's what we call in Spanish black leg, ah. the hoof, I mean. So you actually go into a bar and you look at that vice grips at the leg of the, of the ham, exactly. of, the, of the pig, and you look for a black toenail. Exactly. That's and then it. you know, you know, a lot of people say life is too short to drink bad wine. Maybe life is too <laughs> short to eat anything less than the best jamón. Exactly. <laughs> when you go to Spain, the two big powerhouse cultural cities are Madrid and Barcelona. Compare and contrast for me. Uh, it's uh, difficult for me because I was born in Madrid City. Yeah. And the Barcelona people are Catalonian. <laughs> of course. So that's uh, almost a different country. Of course. But you know something? I honestly, Rick, I honestly tell you, I, I have really, really good friends in Barcelona. And uh, nowadays, nowadays, young people, young generations have no problem about any kind of difference. And we really understand that those cities are complementary cities, you know. All generations still have problems about linguistic differences and uh, cultural differences, you know. But nowadays, I feel so comfortable in Barcelona. I just love Barcelona. Now, it's a different language. There's four languages mm-hmm. in Spain, right? If you go to an ATM machine in Madrid, yeah. you can see what? Four uh, Castile. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Catalonian. Cast- all right. Is Uscara. Exactly. For Basque people. Mm-hmm. And Gallego. 
Uh huh. Absolutely. You go to the Subway sandwich place, and uh-huh. the menu has four languages for your what do you want in your <laughs> what do you want in your sandwich? Yeah. <laughs> Not necessarily, but just in the in some places, of course, of course, right. in some places, uh, legally in Spain, these are obviously the four state languages. Let me also tell you that to say Castilian or Spanish is absolutely a synonym, and this is something that I try to say to some people in Latin America also. Now, Castile is a region in the center of Spain. It's the central plateau of Spain, mm-hmm. named for the land of castles. Is that right? Exactly. Castile. And the language comes from this region, but Andalusia and mm-hmm. uh, Costa Brava and different places mm-hmm. would all be speaking Castilian, meaning mm-hmm. Spanish. Absolutely. In the case of Galician and Catalan, both of them have Latin roots as Spanish, all right? Okay. So we are sister languages. So they're closer to the Roman Latin. Totally. There are only three, as far as I know, only three languages in the whole Europe that have no in the European roots, and those ones are Hungarian in Hungary, uh-huh. Finnish and in, in Finland and Estonia, and Basque in the Basque region. Some were from Asia, they came. The fascinating thing about Spain to me is how diverse the regions are, and every mm-hmm. region has its own pride and its own style and its own uh, heritage. Are the regions competitive in a fun sort of sibling kind of way? Are there jokes about different regions from one region to the next? Oh, yes, of course. Even if we talk about a country which has the size of Texas, there are many, many differences. So you're from Castile? Exactly. Culturally? What do you think of the Andalusians? I think that the Andalusian people are very friendly and they have a very good sense of humor. (laughs) Absolutely. And something less polite about the Andalusians. All right, less polite. Uh, They talk too much. They talk too loud, I mean. So they're <laughs> loud. Noisy. They're talking. They talk what would they think when they, if they had a problem with a Castilian, uh, your friend in Andalusia, when he makes a joke about your Maybe your they think that we are too serious, or maybe they think that we are too conservative. I don't know. So you're the hardworking Germanic part of Spain, is that right? I, I guess so. And yeah. they're the more Southern Italian, life is good, let's have a party, Andalusia. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> We're talking with Federico Garcia Barroso. Federico works as a uh, tour guide all over Spain. He's got a website. It is... SpainFred.com, SpainFred.com, rather than Fred Spain, (laughs) FredSpain.com. No, don't go there. Uh, SpainFred.com. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking in Spain. Thanks for joining us, Federico. Thank you. We'll get to your calls at 877-333-7425 with suggestions for touring the sunny south of Spain in a moment. Right now, let's celebrate National Poetry Month while we fuel our travel imaginations with some haiku recently sent in by our listeners. Dave Swarthout from Spokane wrote us that he rented a cottage in Scotland's Loch Duig area with college classmates from Cambridge and the following year rented a Scottish manor house with five couples from his college days. Sort of a Scottish big chill, as he puts it. He sends us this haiku about it. We were in Scotland, splashing our feet in a loch while seeking Nessie. Ray Wooten from Springtown, Texas, sent us this haiku about the week she spent on the coast of Croatia, which she calls the most amazing trip she'd ever had anywhere. Dubrovnik, the pearl, glows in Adriatic dreams and Croatian suns. Christopher Landy from Chicago sings the praises of Holland in this one. The Hague, Netherlands, cozy, elegant, modest, low country, high living. And Brad Sargent of Springfield, Oregon sends us this one about his time in France. Paris, six flights up, a month in spring, not enough, I've got to go back. Travel with Rick Steves is made possible in part by American Airlines with 4,000 flights to 250 cities in 40 countries around the world every day. It's easy to book your next flight at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly.
I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're in Spain. In fact, we're specifically in Sevilla, which is the major city, the cultural powerhouse in the southern province of Spain, Andalusia. And we have on the line Concepcion Delgado. Concepcion's a friend of mine who runs tours in Sevilla, does a wonderful sort of cultural show and tell every day, taking a small group of people around for a couple of hours, giving them an insight into Sevilla's fascinating and vibrant culture. Concepcion, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Last time I was in Sevilla, there was a lot of change happening. You were making your main boulevard, the Avenue de la Constitución, mm-hmm. into uh, pedestrian only. Mm-hmm. What are the changes that are happening in, in Sevilla now that tourists will notice next time they visit? Well, now the city center is much nicer because um, we have no cars at all, so it's lovely. And a very brand new tram in the city center with a nice bell ringing thing, 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 all the time. But other than that, they are not planning to do anything else. Probably they are thinking about doing uh, Plaza de España or turning Plaza de España into a pedestrian um, boulevard, too, and wow. making that a different monument. So more pedestrian areas. I remember yes. Avenue of the Constitution was a thunderous highway going right through the town. Yeah. You, you couldn't even hear yourself think next to the cathedral because true. of the traffic. Very true. And now you just hear the ting-a-ling-a-ling of the tram and yes. uh, the tap-tap-tap of the uh, high heels as the ladies That's are out it. making <laughs> <Yeah>. the scene. <laughs> See, there are more and more people walking by, and um, for the first time we can enjoy the cathedral without being disturbed by the cars and pollution and all that. Well, they have restored the outside of the cathedral. So they have cleaned it, and it looks much wider. So it looks totally different now. Now, Concepcion, almost every day you have an opportunity to take a small group of Americans through your town and share with them your culture. We have Mm -hmm. a a lot of travelers listening right now. What would you want people to understand about what's unique about Sevilla when you have them as their guide and teacher for a couple hours? As soon as visitors get to town, they know Sevilla is different, is special. It's not just one more city in Spain because it has, I don't know, it's a stereotype, it's true, but it has a different light. Sevilla is a big combination of history, art, uh, culture, leisure, shopping, uh, flamenco music. I don't know, you can enjoy it in many different ways and you will be never sick of it. You know, with fl- the flamenco really feels like a, a tourist trap in some places, but in Sevilla it feels real. It's part of the culture and there's something fundamental to flamenco called uh, duende. It is. Uh, it is, because we train on flamenco since we are kids. I mean, when we are just babies, well, babies, kids, let's say we are five, six years old, our parents take us to classes, flamenco classes, because they know we will practice sooner or later, because whenever we have a party, let's say a wedding, let's say a birthday or whatever, we end by playing the guitar and dancing spontaneously. So it's something in our blood. And there are a lot of bars which are not the the traps, as you say, which are bars with flamenco atmosphere, where we gather just to listen to music, and it's music every night where we can just dance and share a drink with a friend and just start dancing if we feel like. And besides, um, we even hold a big flamenco festival in Sevilla every two years, which is a great opportunity for us to enjoy the big shows, the big uh, premieres of the main artists of the country, and they are very excited about it because they love to be in Sevilla to have their show for the first time, and then they keep on touring all over the years. So we have that great opportunity. So we feel very close to the flamenco, actually. Now, you're a stylish Sevilla woman, and uh, shopping is a big part of many visitors' experience, <laughs> and the shops are beautiful in Sevilla, and I we noticed that <laughs> the, w- the windows are filled with flamenco skirts. How are the oh. hemlines now for the flamenco? Is it going up or down? You told me they, they sometimes the flamenco dresses are longer and sometimes yeah, they're shorter. Yeah, that's true. You mean the, the fashion? Well, it changes every two, three years. So that means that we have to buy... I mean, we have to. We don't have to, but we love to because friends know immediately that we will be wearing an old dress as soon as they see it. <laughs> because for us, it's really different. And uh, thank God, the fashion of the last three years is gone because I didn't like it very much. It was the 60s fashion, so it was the mini flamenco dress. I don't have very nice legs, so I never wore that. So I'm happy to have the long dress again. Very tight, very stylish, with the long leaves. It's very elegant again. Oh, that's good. Now, you complement this with fans and combs and scarves and shawls, mantilla. Mm. Tell us a little bit about that and the meaning of these things. Hmm. 
basically we have uh, two accessories that we wear in in very special occasions. One is the shawl, as you were mentioning, and that's something that we combine with our flamenco dress because um, we wear the flamenco dress in April, and when we have a big celebration is the April fair, and it's a bit chilly still, so we need something to warm ourselves, and we wear the shawl as a coat on top of the flamenco dress because it matches better than just a jacket or whatever, or a pullover. And um, the shawl, it's also a nice ornament or a nice accessory when we are going to, let's say, the opera or uh, whenever there is a big parade in the city center, let's say Corpus Christi or something like that, people hang the shawls on their balconies just to ornate the facades of the houses, so that's nice. And then we have the mantilla, which is a bit more uncomfortable because we wear that on top of a comb tied to our head. And it's basically worn during the Holy Week on Thursday and Good Friday. Now, the mantilla is like a rack that sits on the back of your head for your hair. Is that right? Exactly. It's something which hangs behind you. I mean, I don't know. It's really weird. It's made out of plastic? No, it's a very soft material. It's not okay. silk, as it is in the in the shawls. This is um, a different material, but it's hand-embroidered, and it's very delicate. It's, it's fine work, and it's really expensive. A nice mantilla, I don't know, it's non-priced. It's more it's, than a 1,000 euros or so. It's either black or white, is that right? Black or white, but normally we wear the black one because that's the most elegant one. So that's the one we wear in special occasions. The white one can only be worn in very few occasions, but the black one is the one for the Holy Week. But maybe you have even seen our queen wearing the black mantilla when she receives a personality from a different country or something like that. She wears the mantilla as a Spanish accessory. Federico's from uh, Castile, and he comes down to Sevilla, and he sees these women with their incredible shawls and their flamenco mm-hmm. dresses and their mantilla. What do you think, Federico? I think they are very, very elegant. You know, uh, Rick, I know many citizens in Spain, and we have to say that uh, Seville and Dublin is the most romantic city in Spain. You know, when you see all those ladies with those beautiful dresses, you know, it's absolutely unique. You know, I've been there during the fair, and these dresses, if a friend of mine was wearing it in the middle of England, they would look almost clownish. They're so flamboyant. Mm. (laughs) But there in Seville, it's like a festival of color and good living and sexiness and vibrant uh, embrace life. We have an email from Tammy in Naperville, Illinois. Tammy writes, any insider tips on how to enjoy the April fair like a local? I was there before and only able to enter the public tent. It wasn't quite the same. This is a very important part of visiting Seville. If you're there for the April fair, Concepcion, what what advice can you give a tourist? I, I know if you're a, a local, you're invited to a private, what is it, a caseta, mm. a private tent, and it's a big family uh, festival, and it's just a wonderful nonstop party for many days. Uh, can a tourist only stand outside and look in, or what should a tourist do? Well, sadly, sometimes they can only watch from outside, but one possible solution is making a friend quickly. As soon as they get to town, try to make a friend, a local friend, and he might take you to a caseta or two. Another option is that there are a lot of public casetas that they can enter without any problem. But as you said, well, it's not the same when you go with friends and family. But um, sometimes it's just pretending that you know someone inside. So yeah, you say you know, hello, you wave your hand, and say, okay, I know that person there, you see, and just go in. So some people are better at this than others. And yeah, if, you're, if, if you're good at crashing parties and if you've got any sort of social skills, you can probably get into a tent. But every town has a fair in the, sometime in the spring, is that right? And Seville has the biggest one. Hmm. Well, Sevilla is the city which opens the first season. After Sevilla, many other cities in the south continue with that. So there is a first season from April till September, all spring and summer okay. long. And in other cities, it's totally different. But it's because it's a festival or it's a celebration we don't do for foreigners. No, it's Even for if locals. they can enjoy it. It's something that we do for ourselves, just for our own enjoyment. And people here save money all year round just to enjoy a celebration. A tourist has to be sensitive about that. This is not a party for the tourists. Exactly. This is a if, very... if they are lucky enough to have a friend or to feel involved in all the situation, that's fine. But in the morning, it's, it's easier because in the morning, I mean, they are here visiting the city and they can just walk by in the morning when the horse-drawn carriages will be passing by all ornated. And that's also something to enjoy because in Sevilla, uh, people own incredibly beautiful horses and they all show off during the day. They do the parade in the okay. morning. And you don't need to own a caseta just to enjoy that. The fair lasts for a couple of weeks, is that right? 
Just one week. One week, and mm-hmm. it's in April, and it's a huge fairground. You can walk there from downtown, and there must be several hundred private family tents and a few big public tents. All mm-hmm. the horses are out. Everybody's dressed up and making the scene. You can have a wonderful festive visit just by wandering the streets between the tents. And again, these are private family parties generally. But if you make a friend, and if you're um, a person who's easy to like, there's a good chance you can be invited in. We have Pam on the line in Portland, Oregon. Hi, do you have a comment or a question about the fair for um, Concepcion or Federico? Well, yeah, I'm wondering what week it is. I'm going to be in Marbella, Malaga through the 12th, and I was curious about the possibilities of a one-day trip to Sevilla. Boy, that would be real tough, I think, to make a one-day trip from Marbella to Sevilla just to see the fair. Be a lot of transportation, a lot of crowds. Uh, you'd be there just long enough to check it out and be overwhelmed by how congested it is. And then you'd, the reality is, you'd have to go back back to Marbella. I think. What do you think, uh, Concepcion? If somebody is side tripping from Marbella for a day to see the fair? Well, if it's only to see the fair, that's fine because um, there's not too much to do there. But what I think is a shame is coming from Marbella for just one day because. Um, Sevilla deserves more than one day. Anyhow, the feria is right after the Holy Week, so it's not going to coincide. Normally, uh, to calculate when the feria comes, you have to know when the Holy Week is, which is the week before Eastern, and the feria is afterwards, one or two weeks after. It all depends on how early the Holy Week is, but always in April. Pam, have you been to Sevilla before? No, I haven't. You know, I would say if you've never been to Sevilla before, any time you go to Sevilla is a fair. And if you know (laughs) where to go and what to do, you can have a wonderful time. And I would say, I don't know where you're staying in Marbella, but it's nowhere near as good as staying in Sevilla. I can't think of two more opposite cities, to be frank. Uh, You've got to carve out some time and enjoy Sevilla right, okay? Okay, I'll try to. (laughs) Good luck. Thanks. Thank you. And Jennifer's on the line in San Francisco, California. Jennifer, thanks for your call. My, um comment is on a small hill town uh, near Sevilla, about an hour's drive away, um, called Iznahar, and uh, highly recommend it Hmm. for anyone who's driving between either Granada and Sevilla or Cordoba and Sevilla. Now, this town is I-Z-N-A-J-A-R? Yes. Iznahar. Called Iznahar. Now, why is it so special? Because there's lots of hill towns. Boy, there sure are, aren't there? Um, what I found very special about it was that, uh, first of all, they're, they're not really very well set up for tourists, and so you have the town to yourself, and I found that a little harder to find in some of the other um, parts of Spain and other towns. I also liked very much that there's a recently renovated inn run by a very nice Belgian family. You know, it's charming and it's elegant, but not very expensive. Wonderful accommodations and also folks who could tell us a little bit about the area and where to go. Now, Jennifer, when you go to these hill towns, did you get there by public transit or did you drive? No, we did drive. Yeah, because it's uh, more convenient to get there if you have your own car. Uh, Sevilla really is the gateway to what they call Pueblos Blancos, right, the whitewashed villages. Mm-hmm. I have had some very exciting days just checking out all sorts of little no-name towns, each with its own charm. The three ones that come to mind for me that people can visit are Zahara and Grazalema, and a bigger one, which is a good home base for that region, called Arcos de la Frontera. Uh, Concepcion, do you know the town that uh, Jennifer was talking about? Mm-hmm. I have not been to Nahar at all. Yeah, so there's a, there's a lot that you can explore. How did you find this one, Jennifer? Uh, we found it through a travel magazine and uh, just took a chance that it, it might be something different. Uh, we were the only tourists there at the time, mm-hmm. um, although we enjoyed a, a fabulous afternoon whiling away the hours with a couple of English expats and a French bartender who'd married a local girl. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of uh, English expats who have married local girls down in southern Spain. Federico, what is your advice for the, the route of the Pueblos Blancos, the whitewashed hill towns of Andalusia? It's really, really unique, all that area. You know, you don't find those kind of white villages in other places in Spain. I really love Arcos. Arcos is really 
located in, in a kind of paradise, in the top of a bald mountain, and from there you see the never-ending views of the Andalusian Plateau, and it is a very, very nice place. Arcos. Arcos, Arcos de la Frontera. They say only in Arcos do you see the backs of the birds when they fly, <laughs> because you're looking down at the birds, it's so high up. I, and it's de la Frontera, it's evocative to me, on the frontier mm-hmm. of the Reconquista, as the Christians were pushing those Muslims back into Africa in exactly. that 700-year-long struggle to retake Iberia. Concepcion, exactly. do you have any advice for the route of the Pueblos Blancos? Well, honestly, I, I think of you often lately because whenever we get to a town just for uh, for one day, when whenever we take the car and get to find a different town, I say, oh my God, Rick would love this because it's unique. Every time you get to one of those kind of faraway, hidden villages where life is so quiet, different, and where you get to see the real Spain, you feel like relaxed and in a different world, but there are several so-called Pueblos Blancos, not only those you talk about here near Sevilla, in Cadiz, which are Gazalema, mm-hmm. Setenil, lovely too, Setenil mm-hmm. de las Bodegas, or Arcos, that Federico likes so much, but there are also white villages in the surroundings of Malaga and Granada, and Las Alpujarras in Granada are also... Yeah, also really well, I, I think it's interesting, what I learned was all of these towns along the Costa del Sol when they were threatened by pirates, I guess, they would actually move from their, their harborside setting up into the hills for protection. Mm-hmm. So you have historic towns. What do you have? You have uh, Nerja and Frigilana. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, Frigilana is, the, is yes. the historic Nerja, which is down on the beach. And for centuries, people lived up in the mountains. And then when it was safe, they rekindled their town along the coast. Marbella has a similar town inland, I believe. So you've got mm-hmm. all of these towns that were heading for the hills for protection, and today, they're sort of protected from the 21st century in a lot of ways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somehow, yes. Jennifer, thanks for your call. Thank you. Okay, bye now. Bye-bye. Uh, Concepcion, when you have a visitor coming in and you want to uh, show them the art of the fan, give me a little quick thumbnail lesson in, in the art of the fan for an Andalusian woman. <laughs> well... Apart from being an art, it's something so, so useful for us because, you know, it's very hot here during the summertime. So we shake our fan all day long. I love the way the fans sound. So when I want to entertain myself, just I just shake my fan all the time. <laughs> I love that noise. So I you can't f- help it. So You when flip it open, right? Mm-hmm. Sorry? <laughs> What's the sound when you flip it open? <laughs> Adorable. Make the sound again. Let me hear. <laughs> and if you're if it's very hot and you're at church, what's the sound that you hear in the pews? <laughs> I think it is. That's right. All the women are, are are staying cool with their fans. And if you're flirting, what is the language of the fan? not a language anymore. In the past, there was, because you know that girls could not go out with boys. They had to be separated all the time. So girls were standing at their at their houses or maybe looking at the street through their balconies or windows. And when boys were passing by, they were shaking their fans, oh, I don't know, faster or slowlier, depending on their interest. Oh, or just just covering uh, the mouth and the nose, you know, with a fan and just looking at you with those seductive eyes, you know. Seductive that was, eyes. I think, quite, quite common in the old times, I guess. <laughs> More calls and emails for our guides from Madrid and Seville are just ahead as we explore Spain on Travel with Rick Steves. We're at 877-333-RICK and radio at ricksteves.com. We're exploring Spain today on Travel with Rick Steves with tour guide Federico Garcia Barroso. He's based in Madrid, and by phone from Seville in the south of Spain is Concepcion Delgado. They're here to take your calls and emails at 877-333-RICK and at radio at ricksteves.com. We have William on the phone in Vacaville, California. William, thanks for your call. Well, uh, they were talking about Marbella and Sevilla and all that, which is a great area, but you know, right there, if you'd want to relax a little you can move down to the coast a little bit to the west of there to Estepone, mm-hmm. and there's a, about a three-mile public beach, which is hard to find in the Mediterranean in that area. Yeah. And right. we got a, an expensive hotel room from a fine gentleman, 
up in the fifth floor facing the beach. Of course, this is like October, you know, get away from the tourist season. Now, you're talking about the most touristed, paved, congested part of the Mediterranean coastline. Yes, I, I know. think the, the Costa del Sol, the Costa del Turismo. Yes. And uh, <laughs> you found a place that you think is a, a little less developed well, that it, you'd recommend, Estepone. Estepone, and it's a relief, believe me. Now, before he'd rent us a room in the fifth floor of the hotel, he made us promise not to dive off into the ocean. Uh, so you can see the proximity there. Federico, what's your experience with Estepone? Estepone is a nice place because it's not so, so, so uh, overcrowded as uh, Marbella and other places. Tormolinos. And so. Tormolinos, exactly. So I know some. Actually, one of my relatives, by the way, has a nice apartment in Estepone. I would say that it's one of the less crowded areas disgusting in the areas the <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, I didn't <laughs> you were going to say disgusting I know well it, it has an old section yeah. Of town. Yeah. yeah it has a little restaurant called uh, Tomasita mm-hmm. Little St. Thomas Okay. which all the locals go to, which is really a Spanish experience. You know, William, the fascinating thing for me when I go to the Costa del Sol is mm-hmm. finding these little enclaves of different European communities down there, the Belgians, the English, the Irish, looking for a change in weather but not a change in culture. Uh, absolutely. And, yes, and, uh, I totally agree. I know there are some Spaniards that complain that there's no menus in Spanish. They don't know what to order when they get to some of these towns on the south coast of Spain. Always someone will tell you, not a problem. Not a problem. <laughs> food is always good. So now I've driven the whole length of the Costa del Sol, and Estepone would be a good suggestion for enjoying the coast with some public beach and mm-hmm. without all the yeah, in- intensity. Yeah, uh, over a mile there, maybe two miles of public beach and a park. It's and, really and nice. And the, the other town I really like is Nerja. Mm-hmm. Nerja is a sort of an elegant 19th century sort of ambiance for a beach resort, and it's got a wonderful promenade and a lot of affordable hotels. Concepcion, when you go to the Costa del Sol, where do you go or what do you look for, or do you just skip it because it's invaded by the tourists? Mm, actually, I hardly ever go to La Costa del Sol because for us, they are closer beaches. Normally, people from Sevilla go to La Costa de la Luz, which is the coast of Huelva and Cadiz, and that's much quieter, and I prefer that. So that's windier with colder water because it's on it's the Atlantic? It's a bit colder because it's the Atlantic, it's not the Mediterranean, but well, the Mediterranean Sea is cold too. Yeah. So for us, it's closer, and it's more uh, similar to the beaches in the Algarve in southern Portugal, so they are longer beaches with whiter sand, not the dark sand in La Costa del Sol. And you can find small beaches which are less crowded, and if they are busy, it's only with Spaniards. So we feel more comfortable because, you know, we are very social people, so we prefer <laughs> to be with, I don't know. Hanging out with Spaniards instead of the Irish people down there looking for their Yeah, Guinness. why not? <laughs> Federico, what is your tip, I just, Federico? I just want to say, I just want to mention that uh, Mediterranean or Atlantic coast could be Cold for comfort, you know, but they are very, very warm waters for Northern Europeans, you know. (laughs) All right. (laughs) William, thanks for your call, and we'll remember Estepone. Rick, I'd like to make a comment. Yeah. If you can work with these crazy airlines in America and tell them sell one-way tickets with an open return so people can go enjoy the culture, try different things, and not have a schedule. Wouldn't that be great? You know, the airlines... They used to do that, and I don't understand why they don't. Well, they're experts in what I learned is called perfect price discrimination. They know know where you're price sensitive and where you're not, and if you want to go open-ended, you can do it, but you're going to pay a lot for that privilege, aren't you? (laughs) All right, William. Hey, happy travels. Thank you much, Rick. Bye. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're exploring Spain with Concepcion Delgado, who comes to us from Sevilla. Concepcion's uh, website is sevillawalkingtours.com. And Federico Garcia Barroso, who is a friend of mine and a tour guide, takes Americans all over Spain. And Federico's website is fredspain.com. No, no, no. No, no, no. No, spainfred.com. <laughs> I'm so glad you flipped it correctly. Spainfred.com. Concepcion, the Ave train, the bullet train, now connects Sevilla with Madrid in, what, two hours and 45 minutes? It used to be eight hours to go from Madrid to Sevilla. How does that change life for you in Sevilla? It did change our life. Well, it's less than two hours 45. If, if, if it doesn't stop, it's two hours and 15 minutes. Yeah. Only. Incredible. Two and a quarter. Two and a quarter hours from Madrid to Sevilla. Honestly, mm-hmm. that was an overnight train ride when I was first mm-hmm. coming. We can even go to Madrid for a day if we want to. You could go for a concert. 
Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, I think all of us have done it because when the train started working, everybody wanted to try it. It's the same as what the uh, TGV has done from Paris to the French exactly. Riviera. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, the French Riviera is the weekend destination ground for all those Parisians, like mm -hmm. Sevilla is easy access from Madrid. Also, when they continue this, I believe they're thinking about even making a tunnel now mm -hmm. from southern Spain near Gibraltar over to Morocco. We are working quite well in Spain, honestly, about the high-speed train linking Spain to Portugal and to Morocco in the next future. But the other two countries that I mentioned are not totally involved in this. Not yet. Okay, not totally. so now they're lacing Spain together with more trains. So you can go from Barcelona to Madrid on a high-speed train. Totally. Yeah. And Malaga also. And Malaga, Malaga is also connected now with Cordoba, the Cordoba, Granada very soon, and some places yeah. in northern Spain. Back to Sevilla, just for a moment, I think there's a lot of uh, concern in America, Concepcion, about the political correctness of bullfighting. Is bullfighting dying out in Sevilla? Is, uh, it seems Sevilla is sort of the heart of bullfighting country. Well, it's not dying here, not really, because um, people are very keen on the bullfights in Sevilla, big fan. Besides, it's part of the spring fair, I mean, the spring celebration, so at the moment people keep on having their season ticket because they like bullfights very much. And there's not that big controversy here in the south. Maybe in the north, there are more people against that, but not here. In Sevilla, it is uh, sold out with season ticket holders every time they have this uh, one month full of bullfights. Mm -hmm. It's hard to get a ticket, actually, huh? Well, not every day, but during no. the feria, it's almost impossible to get a ticket. And then when the fighters come in are good, well-known, it's also hard to get a ticket. And they are not sold to visitors or to tourists, no. So People there's a lot of... Sevilla buy them. I can understand the uh, thinking that it's cruel for the beast and so on, but I've had a lot of people tell me it's only surviving because tourists go there. And if that was the case, I would say this is wrong to promote it. But I think that bullfighting is surviving with or without tourist support. Federico? Well, it's, it's, uh, I honestly think that... Um Bullfighting is much more popular in southern Spain, you know, but it's obviously surviving because they are supported with uh, public money, eh, with our taxes. Just a minority of Spanish people go to bullfights, and it's basically one of our tourist resources, you know, so that's why we still have bullfighters. The only problem is that in Spain we are too cruel and we kill the animal at the end of the show. You all know that, and we exported that tradition to Latin America. There are other kind of bullfighters in Portugal. In Portugal and France, they don't France. kill the bull. It's, exactly. more of a, it's just more of a contest which exactly. might be a little more mm. palatable. Uh, when you're in a bar and they're having a bullfight on TV, do you pay attention? Personally, I don't. But there's a lot of bullfighting on TV in the bars. Yeah, in some bars, yes, absolutely. Specifically in those uh, ferias, eh, those fairs. Yeah, there are some, some people. It's interesting. Like, mm -hmm. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. I'm joined by Federico Garcia Barroso, who's a guide in Spain. His website, spainfred.com. And Concepcion Delgado, on the phone from Sevilla, Concepcion's website, SevillaWalkingTours.com. Katie's on the phone from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Katie, thanks for your call. Hi. I'm 19 and a woman, and uh, I was in Europe last summer, and I made it to Barcelona and to San Sebastian, and I felt completely comfortable in, in both of those places, even when I was completely alone. But I definitely want to go back to Spain, and I might study in Madrid, but I want to travel further south. And I was just wondering if the dynamic there changes, kind of like that of Italy when you go further south, or just in general, if you have any advice. Meaning you were uncomfortable because men were staring at you and whistling and this sort of thing? I mean, I never felt really uncomfortable, but I did like have one experience yeah. with someone following me. And, All right, well, let's, yeah. let's talk to Federico. Federico, uh, you're from the middle of Spain. Is mm -hmm. there a change from north to south as far as this uh, macho sort of attention to women and so on? I guess so. I really guess so. Um, I would say it's not just uh, a matter of, of different regions in Spain. I would say that nowadays young generations behave in another way, you know. Uh, <laughs> but still, yeah, of course, you can find some differences, you know, in every corner of Spain. But I think it's just all related about a matter of age much more than, than areas or where you are. Hmm. And uh, Concepcion, what's your take on this, uh, the tourist concern for women being respected in the south compared to the north? I don't think there will be a difference. Maybe, as she says, it's also depending on the size of the place where you are, because if you're in a little village where they have not seen a foreigner for years and suddenly she gets there, not only men, everybody will be staring at her as an alien. 
But um, <laughs> I think that traveling as a lonely woman in Spain is perfectly safe. And no, considering totally. the option of studying, Andalusia is a great option because Granada has a well-known university. And in Sevilla, we have a lot of programs with American universities. So we have hundreds thousands yeah. i don't know katie you're not gonna American have any feeling that you're an alien in sevilla that's for sure katie do you yeah. see the movie woody <laughs> allen's movie uh, vicky christina mm -hmm. barcelona okay those two americans they changed their lives you know when they came to spain by the way mm -hmm. <laughs> good luck katie go for it thank you all right craig's on the phone in wisconsin dells wisconsin craig thanks for your call thank you for taking it we're uh, planning a family trip to barcelona and madrid and we're just looking for some information on some good side trips from Madrid, uh, be it Toledo or Segovia or even uh, Talavera de Reina. Mm -hmm. Wondering how easy it is to get to those places. Federico. Yes, I can tell. Hello, how are you today? Very good, very good. When we talk about Toledo and Segovia, nowadays we have this fantastic train, which is the AVE, the high speed, and this is absolutely the best way to go there. Cheap, cool, and fast, and safe. So there you go to visit Toledo and Segovia. And if you want to go to Talavera de la Reina, Talavera is a bigger town in Toledo's province, very famous because of all those beautiful tiles that they have. I have a very good friend in Talavera, by the way, and there are regular departures every day. There are buses going there every hour, and the ride takes approximately a couple of hours. So my suggestion is just to take an early bus to go there and to come back in the late afternoon, you know, and it's uh, it's enough time. Or you can obviously spend one night in Talavera, why not, you know, but you need approximately a couple of hours ride and a couple of hours to come back. So, Craig, then the new bullet train, the AVE, A -V -E, is going now from Madrid to Toledo. That's a new line, and it mm -hmm. takes it like 40 minutes instead of an hour and a half or something, right? Half hour, yeah. Half an hour. Half hour. And there's a number of those each day, and great as the new AVE bullet train system is, don't underestimate the practicality of the old-fashioned bus station. You go to any town in Spain, go to the bus station, and you've got buses departing in all directions all the time for half the price of the train, I would imagine. So mm -hmm. remember that you do have that bus option. Well, thank you very much. Good luck on your travels. Dawn writes us from Rota, Spain, and she says, I live in southern Spain. The trick to enjoying the fair like a local is to travel south of Sevilla and visit the smaller fairs in places like uh, Jerez de la Frontera, Rota, Porto de Santa Maria, and the entire fair is open to all. Uh, Concepcion, does that make sense to you? Mm -hmm. That's the way it works. If you if you go to Malaga, for example, their area is totally different, so anyone can enjoy. Okay. There's no restriction. You can enter every place. You can have food everywhere. That's making more sense. But maybe they are not so colorful. Well, the one in Jerez is, is gorgeous, too, because, you know, in Jerez, they also have beautiful horses, so they also have the beautiful parade, and Jerez is famous about wine, so... This is the home the of feria, sherry, oh, sherry wine, by the way, J-E-R-E-Z, Jerez. The feria consists on that, I mean, having fun while you have some sherry, and what better place could be than Jerez, I mean... Horses and sherry. Horses and sherry. Now, Sevilla has then the most colorful, famous, and probably the, the best fair, but it's the most private family affair, yeah. a collection of private family tents. You know, a, a big shot's going to buy a tent and bring in all the food and cater it mm -hmm. and uh, show off, and all of his best friends will come there, his business acquaintances, his extended family, and so on. Go to these other towns south of Sevilla, and then you have a more wide-open situation. We have another email from Joyce in Seattle. She writes, I'd like to do some day hiking in the Pyrenees. Suggestions about where to stay and how to determine which hikes to do. Federico, talk a minute about hiking in the great mountains that separate Spain and France. The Pyrenees Mountains are really beautiful, really beautiful, and they have really good resorts, you know, there are many. It depends, it depends on your priorities. I would say that those mountains located in the area of Catalonia and Aragon are the best skiing resorts, you know, very, very good places all over that region. I would say the province of Huesca and the province of Gerona, both of them have really good... Have you been to Ordesa National Park? Ordesa is a paradise. I love Ordesa, north of uh, Pamplona. Exactly. And they've got mountain huts up there, a day's hike apart, and you can treat it just like the Alps. And I, I find some mm. of the most beautiful hiking in the mountains memories I have, not yeah. in the Alps, but in the Pyrenees. In the Pyrenees. Uh, approaching from Spain, and uh, I would say top-notch 
consider Ordesa National Park. Ordesa and Navarra, that place is wonderful in fall season. Yeah. Bill emails us from Homewood, Alabama, and says, what's up with the TH, as in gracias, rather than gracias? <laughs> what's the story there, Federico? It's just a, it's a phonetic difference, that's all about. There is a fake story about a king who didn't know how to pronounce properly, you know, any <laughs> word, but that's a, that's a fake fairy tale, you so, know. So, but this is Castilian, is Castilian, when you have gracias? Gracias, I really think so. Um, the, the TH sound is, is a Castilian accent, if I'm not wrong, and the S sound uh, is actually located in some places in Andalusia and also some places in Latin America. Eh, Conce? Well, the S sound is a, is a mispronunciation we have in Andalusia. It's, well, we cannot consider it a mispronunciation because it's considered to be one of our peculiarities when we speak. I mean, mm-hmm. it's el ceseo, which means that we pronounce or we make the S when it's actually a C. The TH should be pronounced. The only problem is that some of us don't do that. Concepcion, you are from Andalusia and uh, Federico is from Castile. Mm-hmm. Give me an example of how your dialect is different from Federico's. Well, first of all, we speak faster. <laughs> we mm-hmm. love talking, mm-hmm. which means that we have to um, cut up some words sometimes, which means that the final consonants tend to disappear. Uh, apart from saying gracias, we will not pronounce the final S, so we will say gracias. Ah. Buenos dias, which would be like good morning, buenos dias, we would say buenos dias. And you know, because just because of that, they call us snob people, you know? <laughs> well, they call you snobs because you pronounce the last letter. Oh, poor boy. And what about the TH? Gracias, do you both say gracias? Gracias. Gracias. Uh, that C is actually a TH sound, but we, we keep the, the S phonetically as the S sound, you know. The, uh, oh, okay. So we say gracias, although some people in southern Spain and other places could say gracias, yes, pronouncing yeah. both with the S sound. That, that is not a big mistake, but no. it, it's a different it's uh, thing that Andalusians do. It's el ceseo, which is making all the TH sounds sound like S. It's not even we also have the opposite, which yeah. is whenever there is an S, we have this TH sound. That's even worse. That's el ceseo, typically here in Andalusia. So we are just actually talking about a slight phonetic difference, but not even a dialect. We cannot even talk about dialect, you know. I it's don't think it's a dialect. No, we speak Castellano. Of course. I mean, yeah. Andalusia oh, yeah. speak Castellano. Just it's only some peculiarities when we pronounce it, I when see. we speak, but it's not even considered a dialect. No, it's mm-hmm. just that the people from Madrid are snobs. <laughs> yeah, possibly, yes. <laughs> Maybe that's I, w- it. I didn't want to say that, but yes. <laughs> I've had so much fun talking about Spain with my friends Federico Garcia Barroso and Concepcion Delgado coming to us from Sevilla. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. And uh, I guess all we can say now is gracias and Mm -hmm. adios. (laughs) Gracias. Bye. Gracias. Gracias a la vida que me ha dado tanto me ha dado la marcha De mis pies cansados, con ellos anduve, ciudades y charcos, playas y desiertos, montañas y llanos. Travel with Rick Steves is produced by Tim Tatton at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington. Happy travels. Travel with Rick Steves is made possible in part by American Airlines. Their Advantage program can help you earn miles toward your next vacation. Details are at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly.